You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello, welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld. Today I'm speaking with the great Andrew Yerman Glazer. Andrew, thanks for being here, man. Thank you so much for having me. Andrew is it's a, so fun to be here. Thanks. It, well, you've only been here for like two minutes. You don't and know if it's fun. I'm having or not. a fantastic time. <laughs> so so <far>. so, <laughs> uh, Andrew performs here at the Magnet with uh, the great team, The Wrath, on Wednesday nights with Megawatt, as well as Friday Night Show. He also performs on occasion with the duo partner, Dustin Drury, with Upstate. And you can see him at the Upright Citizen Brigade Theater performing with his Herald team. Mermaids. Whoa. Yeah, I said, I, did, I, got me. I looked it all up. It's great. Thanks. Uh, uh, first question Do you remember when you got good at improv? Uh, so subjective. Uh, I, mean, I mean, the difference between like thinking that you're funny to knowing that, like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good at this now. I would say, like, this is so weird, but I put it in like, uh, year ranges for me. So like, I would say around like four to five years of doing improv in New York, I started to feel like I was getting better. Mm -hmm. And then I would say around like year seven of doing it seven to seven, seven to eight almost of doing it in the city. I've only been doing, I'm coming up on like my nine year anniversary, I guess, of starting to do it in the city. So around seven or eight, I felt like, okay, like I'm starting to like get good. I'm like starting to get good at this. It feels weird to say, but yeah, I feel like I'm, yeah, good at this thing. Be be proud, man. You you got got the track record to prove it. Thank you. It's like the only, I think about this a lot. It's pretty much the only thing in my life that I would say I am good at, like, that I would allow myself to say without a doubt, I'm like, I think I'm good at or something, yeah. or I've gotten, it's really just like over time from when I started, I've gotten so much better than when I started. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There's what, what kind of improviser were you like when you started? Oh, oof. Um, man, I guess just like, I don't know. I probably just not a not as good of a listener um in my head, not even close to as good of a performer, just like I would say I would probably just say a sloppy, bad sort of improviser <laughs> um as as probably a lot of people are when yeah. they start yeah uh yeah, and what this is like super sub- subjective but from like the four year mark where you started to feel like you were getting better at it to the eight year mark where you, you kind of realized that you're really good now. What was the kind of difference in those four years? What changed that gave you that sort of certainty or confidence? Um, a lot of it is performance. The, like I super lucky to have gotten to perform here a lot. Mm. Uh, and a lot of it is just like stage time. And I, I mean, hours, it's like just doing the work, uh, you know, cl- keep taking classes, keep doing indie groups, keep performing, keep like, and if you keep adding that up over eight years, anyone will get better than they were. So I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just hours yeah. in the gym, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So let's back up. So you're from Rochester, New York. Yes. Uh, uh, and you moved to New York City to pursue comedy? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Improv specifically. I mean, only because I didn't know anything yeah. when I moved here, but I came specifically to improvise. Yeah. What, what turned you on to improv to begin with? What was your first uh, uh, I, taste of it? I did short form uh, and some sketch in college uh, with the Pappy Parker players uh, at Binghamton <laughs> University. Amazing. Um, and that was amazing. A great experience. And in that process at a... Uh, Skidmore College Improv Festival. We saw UCB. They taught workshops. Uh, and that sort of just like blew our minds at the time because we didn't know any sort of improv theory or just like uh, any sort of long form information was totally brand new to us. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was. I just came down here right after college to improvise. Before that, was it more like a, like a fly by the seat of your pants kind of operation? Yeah, like, you know, college. I mean, short form is nice in the sense that you don't have to, it comes n- nicely packaged in that way. Uh, I think that's more accessible to a lot of people. Mm. Or, and more, you know, you can do it, a lot of people can do it without, I think, necessarily having the skills I you know, it's it's more enjoyable. I think it's more enjoyable to watch a new improviser do short form than it is to watch a new improviser do long form. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Uh, so I think it's, you know, and it's super fun. I loved, I had such a good experience and performed with really talent. I've been lucky, when I think about it, my whole sort of improv career, I've been lucky to always be performing with people who are way better than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a really, really nice thing when you look at it big picture wise. It's hard in the moment, but uh, yeah, it's just been, I've been lucky that way. Yeah. I, it, um, I didn't have any exposure to improv in college. I didn't start until after I got out of college. And uh, I don't think I'm any worse of an improviser for it. But one thing that I kind of consistently hear from people who did improv and sketch when they were in school was uh, uh, that that story of like, oh, we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't know that you can't do a new show every week. So we just did a new show every week. Yep. And I, I do kind of regret missing out on that phase where anything goes and uh, you learn the kind of work ethic of just like producing material sure. constantly and not having that, that self-consciousness quite in place yet of like doing it right. You just kind of do what works and it's funny right and yeah that's so interesting that's so true at the time even too it's like you think you're doing you think you're killing it Mm -hmm. at the time we you know we had a fun group and we were getting good crowds and so it's like yeah you think you're just do like i would there there are some dvds somewhere of me doing it i would love to i should go back and watch them because i'm sure they would make me cringe you know Mm -hmm. but at the time right we were having a blast it's just so fun well, how big were the crowds that you were playing to? We were, you know, we got pretty big, like hundreds of people. Yeah. Uh, which is just wild. We would pack people into our lecture hall. Um, yeah, like hundreds of people. I, I think upwards of like three or 400 people, which is wild because it's bigger than any crowds I perform in front of now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is so funny. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that a letdown when you come to the city and you go from performing in front of 400 cheering fans to playing to a crowd of like six people? Um, I don't think so. Maybe it was a little bit. I mean, it's hard in New York. It's just hard to get started yeah. in this industry. So I think you want to be performing. So I'm sure there was a little bit of that at first. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think just class it, like finding that there are these theaters that do this thing 
that you are like in love with is was just the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And then there are people here who are like just the best at it, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's just, yeah, that in and of itself kind of like trumps any sort of personal thing. It's just sort of a, an amazing show in my mind. There's so much to the kind of like osmosis that you get by, by being surrounded by other great, talented improvisers and comedians and actors that you, you, you learn just as much by just kind of like soaking up other people's uh, uh, personalities as, as you do by actually studying the mechanics of improvising. Sure. Uh, you learn, you, it's more of like the knack it rubs off on you. Um, you were just, uh, we're, before that we started recording, you were talking about that teacher aspect of things. And I think it's the same thing of mm-hmm. just like kind of rubbing off on people. Yeah. More so than an actual, any actual thing that you can say or, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, because so think- the thing that you're saying is, is so arbitrary. Because like, so it, part, part of it has to do with the teacher but part of it also has to do with the class as a whole. And part of it has to do with where that student is, if they're like ready to hear something or not. Because like you could have a teacher who says, gives the most brilliant note in the world and it means nothing to anybody in the class. And you can have a teacher who just says like, you know, yes and. And for whatever reason on that day you needed to hear yes and and you just go, right. Right. And then all of a sudden it's that click moment where sure. it's like, oh, now I'm a good improviser. Yeah. And it's totally arbitrary. It's, it's more of like uh, 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 the handoff, you know, than, than the quality of voice. That being said, you know, take, take class at the Magnet because we have great teachers. <laughs> of course. Oh, please, yeah. yes. Um, we have amazing teachers here. Yeah. But, but being surrounded by people who are like so enthusiastic and so great at what they do makes you better. It goes back to what you're saying about getting the opportunity to play with people who are better than you, which I'm curious to hear your take on that. Because when, when the theater was young, I would get to guest periodically in Tiny Spectacular, which was like the big show. And um, Jesus, that was nerve wracking. Sure. I, I think I did that show maybe 20 times. And maybe I had like one scene that was funny and the rest of it was just a nerve wracking nightmare. Sure. But I'm sure it ended up having a long term positive effect on me. What, yeah. what, what is your experience doing that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I have like, right. I can like, you know, I mean, yeah, you want to be playing, you want to be playing up, I guess, to, mm-hmm. so to speak. So it's nice to be performing with people who are great at what they do uh, and whose who's play you love. Um, and I'm really lucky. I think there are like two sort of things. There are like, uh, there are like your idols and that's sort of one. I think that's like maybe the nerve wracking mm-hmm. end of things, mm-hmm. which, you, which don't, you don't want to disappoint these people. Right. And it's it like, for them. right. And it's such a sort of privilege to get to do these things. Like, as you said, tiny spectacular, like I got to sit in with the, the deconstruction mm-hmm. when James Eason was doing it, mm-hmm. uh, once. And that for me was like at the time and, and still now it's just such a, such an, a privilege and an honor to have gotten to do mm. uh, but the show was horrible like you said for me you know yeah, what I mean yeah. I was in my head I was just I'm sure making horrible choices and moves so there's that end of things and then there's the end of like I think part of the reason uh, the wrath has been like such a positive experience for me is because it's just full of so many people I really love mm-hmm. to play with and love their style of play yeah 
Uh, and so there's that aspect of like sort of uh, playing with your peers who are great. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Uh, and I think that's sort of where you, I mean, I think too that speaks to like, oh yeah, like people should be get like forming indie teams and getting on, uh, getting in groups with people that you love uh, and you love to play with is so fun. You should be doing that because it, how you get better there there i'm sure this isn't true for everybody but for me especially in the earlier days um when you're playing with like the your heroes there's always this thing of of i don't even think politeness is the word it's just this like status thing of like i'll defer to you sure and so you end up making these really weak choices if you make any choices at all and and when you do make a choice it's this like horrible overcompensating. This voice comes out of your mouth, and you're like, "What is this voice? What am I doing?" And like, I'm like stuck with this shit. But when you're playing with people of like your peer group, who you really love, especially if they're different kind of kinds of players than you are, but you really dig the way that they play, there's a little bit more of like that healthy competitiveness, uh, 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 where like you're constantly trying to keep just ahead of each other and then they're kind of constantly trying to get just ahead of you but not in a way that it doesn't feel competitive it's like the right kind of competitiveness it keeps you sharp that fuck with you attitude almost like yeah yeah. and that playful fuck with you attitude uh totally yeah yeah it's that thing of like I'm, i'm gonna make I'm going to make these people laugh. Sure. I'm going to surprise them with what I'm about to do. And then they catch you and they make you laugh. And it just keeps you kind of neck and neck with each other, which is a really great place to be. Sure. Yeah. And the question, well, why do we even like, I mean, the whole, the whole thing is arbitrary to begin with, I think in terms of getting in our heads about playing with performers that we put on these high, you know, Mm -hmm. status pillars or Mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, so to speak. So yeah, I think, Part of it is just like getting out of your getting out of your own way to some extent, and just making those choices, as you were saying, just like going out there and playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you've ever been on the other side of that fence, where like you're in like a lottery show or something, and you're playing with like a student who is really nervous around you, sure, you know that feeling that like you have no expectations whatsoever. Right. Like the only thing that you want is for that person to just do what any do anything, do anything, just say something. I, I don't care. Anything at all will work. But I, I forget that when I'm playing, sure. you know, with somebody that I really admire. That's like kind of the, the thing I've been trying to communicate to like anyone I teach these days or coach. Like those are like the, the things I'm interested in these days, mm-hmm. which is sort of these like larger for me, maybe, maybe it's just because I'm experiencing them now myself, but it's like these thought, these like large world thoughts of like, Oh yeah, just like, just keep, keep doing it. Keep doing the work, mm-hmm. keep failing, just keep doing it. You know what I mean? Like I'm just, just keep doing it. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, rather than any sort of just like, you know, we can notice scene all day, but it's just more sort of like, okay, just like if you're here in four or five years, do you know what I mean? I just look at my own path kind of. And so when students are frustrated or something, it's just like part of me wants to be like, okay, just stay here for nine years. Yeah. And I promise you, you're going to be happier now or then than you are now with, with your growth. Yeah. I, I have like, I give notes because I have to, you know what I mean? Sure. Like people sign up for a class and, and notes are promises part of the class. So you give notes. Um, and I give notes to shows because people want notes, but for the most part, um, I really hate giving notes. I, I really do because to me, it sort of feels a little bit useless. It, it, that whatever comment I have to make, 
about that show is irrelevant now. The show's done. You know, you, you, you made that choice. You know whether it worked or if it didn't work. I might be able to help point out why something worked or why something may have been, you know, cluttered it up. But I much prefer to take stuff into rehearsals and just goof around and, and just focus more on letting people um, fail as much as possible with big, stupid grins on their faces. I think that that's, sure. that's where I'm at these days. Sure. It's like fail a lot in rehearsal with a shit-eating grin on your face and get up and do more of it and, and defang that fear of failing in front of people and defang yep. that fear of, of making stupid choices and just like make it elastic, make it something that's not going to break when you fuck it up Sure, and keep on doing that and let your strengths just kind of like emerge to the surface. Right. You know? Which is so funny because I love hearing your thoughts on shows after like post wraths of any post megawatt shows. I love hearing your. It's funny to hear you say that because I love hearing your insight. I think you have such a good big picture idea of shows mm. that, uh, it's just, it's like funny to hear you say kind of that you're almost not into doing that these days because I love I just yeah love the way you think about the cohesiveness of a show. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, I think I can pick apart the mechanics of what's making a show work or what's not what's getting in a show's way pretty well. Yeah. You know, um uh and I have I have a pretty good sense of of like how stories work sure. and, and I can help like call attention to that. But I, I mean like, so I can, I can, I can, I can summarize a show for somebody and, and help them kind of see how it operated. Right. But in terms of giving like insights that are going to be helpful to improvisers to, for the next time they take the stage, right. it's practically worthless because you're not going to be thinking about how you're designing a story. The next time you take the show, you're going to be doing something, making a choice and then seeing it through. Right. And I'd much rather be helping people feel super comfortable and super jazzed about making choices for themselves that are going to put a big shit eating grin on their face. Right. You know, uh, that's where I'm at these yeah. days. What have you been coaching recently? What have, what, what have you been focusing on with people? <sighs> um, what have I been focusing on? Usually it just like, uh, it just usually revolves around what I'm dealing with at any particular time. Totally. Uh, Lately, I've been doing like a lot of like, I've been getting coached a lot on like philosophy stuff, which I'm digging. I I always go back, I find myself always coming back to listening Mm -hmm. for me. Uh, Anytime I find myself in a slump, um, I feel like it's always a listening issue on my my end. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just need to be listening better. Uh, I'm just like not, I'm in my head for whatever reason, not focusing, I'm just not listening well enough so I'm like a big so I think like listening is a big thing personal yeah like uh yes anding yourself I'm like a big sort of like yes and yourself Mm -hmm. so this sort of idea of like making choices and stuff uh I like talking about um saying yes to our own ideas Mm -hmm. because I think people bail on choices they make early on in scenes uh, because of, you know, getting scared or whatever, you know, self-judgment, all the reasons that we stop doing the things we do. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm a big proponent of, like, saying yes to your own choices, which feels almost maybe, like, almost that, like, I've never studied at the annoyance, but, uh, you know, sort of a Napier improvise concept mm-hmm. uh, from the book, at least, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's sort of like a, a love your, you can't, love someone else before you love yourself mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. it feels like connected to that to me yeah i i totally get that and and 
I think of it in terms of like ownership. Like if you're not prepared to own yourself and own this choice that you made, if you can't really want to carry this choice on your back for the for the rest of your time on the show, you're not going to be any good to anybody else on that sure. stage. And yeah, and it's like, yeah, your choice is good. Like it, it's kind of this thing of like any choice, it really it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. You just if you if you make a choice, if you're listening, and responding honestly and you're making a choice and you stick to it, it's going to probably be the right choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you mean when you say listen better, be a better listener? Oh, uh, what do I mean? I, mean I, I think I know what you mean. Sure. But that's one of those like real tricky words that oh, sometimes yeah. you tell people to listen and then they just stare at you like sure. a deer in headlights. Well, listening is a hard, it's first of all, like a skill. I'm the way I think about listening is like, uh, the way Christina Gauss or the way I, I think Christina Gauss taught it to mm-hmm. me. So I won't even, before I start putting words in her mouth or mm-hmm. anything, she uses the phrase active listening a lot, which I think is like a nice way to describe it. Uh, and she uses like the, the term like heat and weight a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, and I think those are connected to listening. So like the the larger world listening. So obviously we've got the the hearing listening, right? Literally listen to the words that mm-hmm. are happening. But there's also just a, a big picture listening, I think, that needs to go on. What's going on in the scene? What's happening? You know, sort of like uh, sort of this... I almost think of it like as this Zen idea of listening. Or like... Uh, yeah, like... Uh, I don't know, like in the Matrix, when when the green script is falling down on the screen and you see that he's seeing everything, mm-hmm. he sees it like the world mm-hmm. or whatever, mm-hmm. that's sort of the big picture listening that I think we try and get to. That's when, interesting. When we're at that point, when we're locked in at that point, then I think that's when improv, then we cease to be thinking, we're in the moment, we're mm-hmm. totally present, which is like the goal, right? And when we're present, that's, we're listening. I... Uh a, a, a note that did it for me, like one of those notes where I was like, I was ready to hear it at the right time, uh-huh. and, you know, it was from Armando. And I'm not sure if this was actually his note or if this is just how I remember him giving the note. But I remember him in an early class saying that you, yes, and don't, you, don't yes, and what somebody's telling you, yes, and how they're telling it to you. Cool. And that was like, a, a, I was like, oh, right, right, right. Sure. Uh, um, it's not just piling words on top of other words or sure. adding more information, it, it's really taking what they mean. And letting that be the real thing. So I guess that's like seeing the green code and like seeing the picture that's in their mind. Sure. And it falls together too. I feel like a lot of people have been talking about, uh, yes, the, the concept of yes and and just in gr- agreement in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know how sometimes the no is a yes and all that stuff. And which I totally think falls into that idea of big picture listening. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which is to say, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, and I think I've said this before. I think it's a misleading term. It, you know, I, I think it's uh, one of those like finger pointing to the moon things that like it's really easy to confuse the finger for the moon. Hmm. You know, you get so hung up on yes and that you forget that it's just pointing you towards something. Sure. Because I think a lot of people they will yes at each other instead of actually like accepting and embracing and believing. Uh, that to me is the big thing. It's like believing each other yes acting like the other person really means what they're saying Mm -hmm. rather than just like preemptively yesing at them and then just piling more shit on top of their idea what i think is useful though is like these these broad concepts are like good for new students Mm -hmm. like i'd rather 
I'd rather a brand new improviser say yes to something that's that they could say no. You know, say yes, just like be be trained and be pounded on this idea of just saying yes a lot Mm -hmm. over because I think like a a brand new improviser is not going to is probably not feeling comfortable on stage. Is probably so I think like the chances that they're going to have truly authentic real moments right away are like are difficult to find initially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'm more interested for new improvisers to like start a, getting these big world concepts of just like yeah I, th- I feel like i feel like say yes all the time is a concept that for me at least when i was a new improviser is something that you can like apply directly immediately right away to beneficial you know results and then later as you start to improvise more you learn the sort of uh, intricacies of that uh, note. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Well, it, it makes me think a little bit about what you're saying about how you'd rather watch a new person do short form than long form. Sure. It, it, in my mind, it's the difference between sitting someone down in front of like a blank drawing pad and saying draw something, versus sitting someone down and saying like uh, draw a house with three stories to it or something. Mm-hmm. You just give them parameters, and and now instead of having this panic at a totally blank page. It may not be the best-looking house in the world, but they know roughly what they're supposed to do. And that's like the virtue of training on short form is it tells you roughly what to do. Sure. It doesn't tell you how to do it. It just tells you roughly what to do. Right. So you can drop anybody into it and, and have a reasonably engaging scene. Whereas drop somebody in the middle of a Harold and say, go, and you, you get just absolute... You might as well have dropped them off in the middle of the woods. Sure. So having that as, as an idea of... of Training people to start to embrace ideas that at face value don't seem yes. logical or profitable is totally. a really good habit. Yes. That's what I like exactly. Yeah. Put. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, you, should, you should teach this. I'll so. think about it. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to talk about the wrath for a sec. Oh, yeah, please. Let's um, talk about it for more than a sec. All right. Let's do it. <laughs> I would say, oh, Evan Barton liked that one. He <laughs> laughed at that. That's great. Uh, uh, whole, if I can make <laughs> Evan or Grant, Grant's just not even paying attention. He's like doing something, reading the news right now. But if I can make him laugh, I'll be happy. That'll be our goal. We'll get to, oh, he's, he's kind of chuckling a little he's bit. <laughs> he's doing it. Yeah, okay. He's, he's being polite. Um, uh so the wrath is arguably one of the one of the in the grouping of best teams that the magnet has had on on megawatt thank you great team it's and it's so nice to hear it's it fact. good and it's, you guys have been a great team for a long time uh you guys started out strong you became great not long after first being put together and you remain great over the course of several years um what in your opinion makes you guys so work so well together oh man uh or do, or, or or do such consistently high quality shows thank you um yeah i love it's just such a fun team i love playing with them uh I, well first off dumb just dumb luck man mm. it's hard to put together teams right it's just so hard uh it's just you're putting together like eight minds and you're trying to meld their personal artistic aesthetics and and everyone's at these different stages in their improv and also lives. It's just so it's it's mind boggling to me that any of them work mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, I think we we're lucky to get put together by the magnet. Um, I think I think what do I think makes like we have a lot of people like everyone's serious. Everyone has 
serious about improv, loves it, good people. I know this sounds crazy, but like just good loving people. I lo- I like the team. I like seeing everyone on the team uh, and super funny people. So it's just, yeah, like it's so hard to say what makes us work. Yeah. We have a lot of good, we have great um, complementary energies in my mind. Um, so like different styles almost, you know mm. what I mean? Different almost styles sounds weird but like do you know what I mean styles of play almost and I think they end up uh, complementing and combining to form like a really nice uh, cohesive like team in the end yeah which that can be tricky because sometimes in groups you get very different kinds of improvisers together and they end up either canceling each other out or or negating each other or trying to get each other to play in their style or whatever Mm -hmm. you guys are a little bit more um like like an orchestra it's like different instruments that are able to to come together you know and like the sum total is 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 much better than any one instrument A, a couple of things that always impressed me watching you guys um uh you guys have an amazing awareness of give and take uh, uh, like a really sharp, well-honed awareness at any given moment of just who has the focus and and a very generous ability to let that person have the focus for as long as they need it. And it doesn't always mean the loudest person or the silliest person. Sometimes the quietest person moves in a really subtle way and everybody just has the good sense to give attention to them. Sure. And I think that that's... It... it, it leads to shows that have a sharpness that are, are kind of like a rare find in in uh uh house teams it's nice to hear uh it's great it's great to yeah. watch i also think that you guys are really great at setting each other up to succeed you give each other stuff that will make the people around you do what they do really well you know instead of like starting a scene by giving yourself the thing that's going to work sure you know, you give Alexis what's going to work. You sure. give Steve what's going to work. You give right. Scott the opportunity uh, yeah. to go off on a monologue that's sure. going to work. And uh, that, to me, like, it, it always just shows, like, that shows total confidence. Sure. It's the confidence in these other people that they're that they're just killing it. Sure. Uh, yeah. And, again, it's, like, it feels weird, but it, it, for me it goes back to the idea of, like, dumb luck. It's just, like, oh, yeah, it's such a luxury that... Uh, that I can get so delighted when Alexis does her thing, goes on a rant, or to watch Scott do his thing, you know, and literally it's everyone. Now I feel like I need to name everyone on the team. But it's like, yeah, it's really, it's finding delight in each player's version of themselves, you know what I mean, or doing whatever they're doing on stage. Yeah. Uh, And that's such a nice thing to get to have. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys work if you don't mind talking about it? What's like a rehearsal process like for you guys? For a team that's been together, you guys have been together for like four years, yeah, five we're years. Yeah, coming up on four, I think. Yeah, uh, um, I think. And you rehearse every week, yeah, like clockwork. Yeah. Uh, how do you guys approach it? Um, what, what's the secret to keeping the integrity together oof, of a really good team? It's tough. Uh, I would say it's tough. Um, I think like rehearsals aren't, so we just actually, we've had the same rehearsal time for four years mm-hmm. and we just sent a, like a when is good out to the group cause mm-hmm. we've been having some conflicts, some schedule conflicts lately. So we just want to see if we can find another time that sort of is, is, can be that set time yeah. a little bit easier. Uh, so I think that's important. I think like 
yeah, rehearsal's important, right? Just like we have to be doing it together. And I think we're all on board with that idea. I think um, good coaches, we've been really lucky to have great coaches. Um, and like, you know, using sort of like, I think like you can use a coach for a while and then you sort of get what you've gotten from that coach. Mm-hmm. I think you benefit from sort of moving on and getting a different perspective. So we've been like really lucky to have amazing coaches throughout our run. Um, And I think it's just like a little bit of just like going in there and having a good time. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, there's nothing of the things. There's nothing more important to me than improv. But at the end of the day, we're just, we're playing make believe, right? And there are, it's, it's inconsequential to the real life stuff, mm-hmm. right? So I think uh, uh, keeping that paradox or balancing that paradox is like a hard but important thing to do. Uh, making improv both the most important thing and also realizing that it's like the, the least important thing. Yeah. Uh, is something that I think we do well as a group. And so it allows us to go into a rehearsal and just have like a great, I mean, I'm just thinking even this Monday's rehearsal is just like, yeah, it's just like there are super fun things. Like, you know, we have these super fun scenes and, you know, we get to know, it's all just sort of bonding experience in my mind. Yeah. Uh, Getting to know each other better, uh, making, you know, making Dwyer or Penty crack up or Emily, you know what I mean? All these things are like, or cracking up at any of them. Who have I not named now? Michael Kroll. Kroll. Slate, we mentioned. mentioned, Yeah. Do we get everyone? Oh God, if I'm, we've Scott Laurie. Have we talked about Scott? Well, we mentioned him. We haven't talked about him. And everyone. Yeah. Ross Taylor. Ross Taylor. Have we That's gotten it. Ross? Nope, we got oh, Ross. Ross. In there. I love you, Ross. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's just, you know, playing around with everyone. Yeah. Uh, it's like so fun. Uh, I've been on the bus. I, I don't know how long I've been on the bus now. A long time. Sure. And how then, long? Uh, six or seven years. Cool. Maybe more than that. And when, when did you start improvising? Uh, I've been improvising for like 12 years. We just switched microphones yeah. since I'm yeah. asking the questions now. Oh, man, I don't like it on this side. <laughs> okay. um, and same thing with the boss. For as long as I've been on the team, we've had the same rehearsal time. Uh, that's That's been like our main credo is like this This time is, is sacred time. Sure. This is our time, you know, and, and it's been a big boon for us. What time is that out of interest? Tuesdays, 7 to 9 p.m. Tuesdays, and now it's, it's turned into, it's actually turned, I'm sorry, I lied. It was 7 to 9 and then it turned into Tuesdays, 6 to 7. Ooh, so we, cool. short, we shortened gotcha. it and we moved it. Um, uh, and one thing I'll say that actually I'm only realizing it now talking to you been rehearsing every single week with those guys for six or seven years and I look forward to it every week. Yep. And that says a lot. Sure. When 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 you're going into work with these people and you're still looking forward to making them laugh. Sure. That's an amazingly good feeling. Yeah. Kevin Dorf said in a class one time that uh, the whole thing, the trick to this is that we're we are being very serious about dicking around. Sure. I think that just like nails it, it, it so right? perfectly. Yeah, of course. Um and yeah, if you don't find that balance, if you don't have that like perfect harmony between those two things, it's like wasted efforts. And so often you don't have that, which yeah. is such a, but you know what I mean? There's so many teams that don't have that and that's, what's tough too. It's like, yeah, this whole thing is, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. 
You uh, have performed on Lloyd Knight, and you also perform on Harold Knight at UCB. Uh, Lloyd Knight. Lloyd Knight, I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Lloyd. Uh, yes. Um, so you're a Lloyd team. You're on a, currently on a Harold team. Correct. And you're on a Megawatt team at the Magnet. Yeah, and Friday Night Show. And Friday Night Show. Yes. Um, uh, do you bring a different approach to those four different groups? Do you like reorient the way that you go into a show? What What, what is the different experience like for you? Um, you know, I might get in trouble for this, but I, no, not really. To be honest with you, these days, I like to think that my play is is enough of a. I think of it as enough of a beautiful mesh of the two mm-hmm. theaters uh, of my two schoolings really mm-hmm. the way I think about it that they're that one side uh enriches the other and that they're both playable at each theater mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah totally sure I put my uh, you know each team is different so I think I you know fill slightly different roles within each team if mm-hmm. that makes sense mm-hmm. um but even with that said, I think I'm pretty much the same person to some extent. Yeah. We're doing different forms. You know, like, obviously there are lots of variables, but I hope, I hope I'm not, like, too chameleon-esque from stage to stage. I, there are some, some, like, very noticeable differences in the approach that UCB brings to improvising sure. and the approach that Magnet brings to improvising. But then on the other hand, I think that there's a lot more similarity than oh, yeah. you might at first think. Sure. It sort of boils down to watching stuff that works and plays, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I almost think of it as, like, there isn't exactly like a correct formula of what's going to work in play. It's just, again, it's that finger pointing to the moon thing of like, you take different things from different people in different places that just point you in the direction of getting on stage and working it out. Sure. You know, and being sharp and funny. And that they're both pointing in the same direction. Do you know what I mean? That's sort of what I've found and what I've grown to love is like, Oh, right. These are the same two sides of the same coin, so to speak. It's just like, Oh, great. One puts me here. And the other puts me here too. We're yeah. just like, you know, they push from different directions or, and sometimes the same direction, yeah. you know, it's just, yeah. But hearing different perspectives has made me better and helped me grow. And so that's been good for me. It's kind of like taking the E train versus taking the F train down to West fourth street. Sure. It's like they both get you down to West fourth street. <laughs> right. But you know that they're both very different feeling trains. Oh yeah. Right. You know, like this totally. is a wildly different vibe on the F line than on the E line. Sure. But then you get out at West fourth street and you know, and sure. you're at the basketball court. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're there. We all end up. Yeah. Getting huh. a slice of pizza. And- Perfect. Uh, um, what, what uh, uh, what do you kind of like categorize as like great play? What for you? When do you walk away from shows feeling like successful? For me, yeah. Um, oof. <sighs> Good question. Um, I think like these days when I feel it's funny, like you go from these sort of like very ego oriented self. Good, good personal shows uh, to, I think, like these days, what gets me off are sort of the like uh, team shows mm-hmm. that go really well. Because mm-hmm. um, those hit to the degree with which I'm like, we're trying to 
improvise or, or trying to create, you know what I yeah. mean? These like great shows. And when I think about the shows that influenced me as a younger improviser, they're always great team shows, never individual players, of course. So, so yeah, I think like when, when the wrath can have like just a show that feels really, really nicely, you know, wrapped up in a bow, so to speak, or just like, uh, plated as a, as a thematic show or something. Uh, that that's usually when I walk off feeling like, oh, great, we did, I did well today. You know what about that too? I feel like there's a difference in quality when you walk away from a show going, I was great tonight, mm-hmm. versus that was a great show. Sure. In the first case, it's really easy to start to kind of fetishize sort of what you did on that particular night. And then it begins sneaking into other shows. You start finding yourself looking for ways that you can kind of repeat your success. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to fetishize when the team does great. It, it, because there isn't, you can't exactly repeat the same steps that the whole team took sure. to arrive at that. So the takeaway is usually more of just like a love and appreciation for the team. Yes. And just like an enjoyment of getting to work with these wonderful people. Sure. Whereas when you kind of walk away loving yourself, you you begin to kind of um, uh, build a little like wall to like protect this thing that you did so great, and mm-hmm. and you actually become a slightly diminished improviser over time because of that. Totally, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a nice that's a nice way to put it. Even like I feel like even re- even successful rehearsals can fuel that yeah. idea of like group group mind or something that just like collective success. Yeah, uh, which is so imp- again so important for the success of a team. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've been lucky to, I think have got been placed on and been, uh, gotten to be a part of teams that have that. Uh, um, you have an amazing ability to do a couple of things that are really awesome. You do a lot of things that are awesome, but there's a couple that stand out to me that are super cool. You have a great mind for patterns and games without boiling scenes down to patterns and games. You have an ability to just kind of keep the game moving aggressively forward, but you're a great actor, and and the scene is still really warm and really funny the entire time, which is a real skill. It, it I think that that's a, a fairly rare quality. Um, you can be working out the mechanics of it on your feet and still be absolutely open to the scene as it's unfolding. Thank you. You also have that Tom Hanks ability of uh, uh, being able to get angry and play jerks that people are rooting for and love the entire time. <laughs> Which Mitch Glazer said of Tom Hanks that that's the secret to his success. That <laughs> it's hard to you, have. You, have you ever seen footage of Back to the Future with um, uh, who's uh, uh, shit? Who's the original Marty McFly before they hired uh, uh, Michael J. Fox? Eric Stoltz. Have you ever seen any of the footage of Eric no. Stoltz? They shot like a quarter of the movie with Eric really? Stoltz. Yeah, and you could find it online. And it's like shot by shot, the movie. And after a quarter of it, they let him go and went back to the beginning and uh, reshot the whole thing. Who is Eric Stoltz? I, I don't even know. Eric Stoltz was in... Can you IMDB it for me? Uh, hold on. There's I a picture of him that... Evan's doing it. Evan brought up. Um, um, I okay. don't really know what his claim to fame is. He was in The Fly 2. <laughs> oh, of course, Eric Stoltz. Okay. Uh, uh, cool. Uh, I got it. Mask. Oh yeah, he was oh, in cool. Mask. He okay. played uh, he played the uh, Rocky in Mask. Okay, he's a good actor. Cool. Um, but like, there's like an, a quality of anger to him or something that like in that movie took all the warmth and fun away from sure. it, and you really see the scenes fall flat. 
Um, whereas like Michael J. Fox can kind of play like cocky or jerky a little sure. bit and, and you love him and root for him. You have an ability to freak out in shows and get really <laughs> angry and really explosive. And it's just fucking the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Uh, and what's the question? How I guess I, no question. Oh, I guess has like, that been has that developed over time? Has that sure. been the unlocking of your natural sense of humor? Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's also connected to my being a bit of a jerk, probably. Uh, yeah, I think like maybe it's just tied to my actual personality. I think I'm like, I think I can get very passionate mm-hmm. and like angry about certain things. Yeah, never like I say angry. I. I mean, just like really passionate. I think it, it comes off angry because mm-hmm. my tone can get louder and my, you know what I mean? I, uh, so that's just a, maybe a part of me, but it's definitely something I think I've learned to hone or, I mean, it's, de- it's, it's weird because I can't put a finger on it, but it's definitely something I recognize as like having gotten better at. Or just something I get, it's like in my wheelhouse almost, yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. I was just talking too, I think this is important. I was having a conversation last night with friends about uh always punching down punching down versus punching up. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's maybe it's something that I is is important to me that we're always punching up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope that even when I'm getting, if if I'm getting, if my character is getting furious and angry, it's either because he or she is about to fail miserably, mm-hmm. or because they're getting angry at the larger world injustice, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. So I hope. So I think. Right. Does that make sense? So, it does. So that's important, and I think maybe like that allows for the audience to get on board with it either way. If either that person is just about to fail after their freak out or just about to triumph in their freak out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris Rock talks about that idea of, of punching up versus punching down and of how the joke is always going to fail when you're punching down. Sure. It, 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 the joke when you're punching down is, is a, about a meanness and about a separation between people. Sure. Uh, it's alienating people who, who you're, you're demonizing or excluding, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it is, it's interesting how you can play, I don't mean you particularly, but like you can play a person with power and status and have all the power and have all the status. Uh, and you can play a person who's shitting on people who are beneath you and still make that idea successful. Sure. Because you're setting up your guy with, to look like a complete fucking buffoon. Yeah. You know what's, I, I've been thinking, I thought about this recently and I was like, you can play, we can play any type of character we want, mm-hmm. but always these characters must be the best listener versions of these characters right. around right yeah so if i'm playing even a horrible character they have to be good listeners right and if we're doing that actually if we're like truly listening through the horribleness i think we'll be able to react in the moment to sort of have those personal sort of like acknowledgement of horrible qualities or just like recognition of those things. Mm -hmm. Cause I think in the real world, maybe the horrible people often aren't listening. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what sort of makes them bad people, but it's maybe sometimes fun to see uh, a mean person or a bad, you know, this quote unquote bad person 
grow in the mo- in the moment it's fun to watch them recognize something that they've done yeah. and change maybe or just address it even does that make sense it does that's a really interesting way of putting it of 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 always being at the heightening height at the most heightened place of this person's attentiveness sure um i think that's what is so frustrating about like people with status and power in real life is that they tend to not give a fuck about any they they just close off it's It's just just their thing yeah totally um and seeing that same attitude but in a state of like responsiveness uh tends to be really funny sure and also too i mean i think it speaks sorry i don't mean to cut you off please cut me off it speaks to this idea of like if those people in the real world were just better listeners, mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't have those people in this world, right? Right. Because right. it's like I feel like that. I feel I really do feel like listening is connected to sort of the answer, or which is why I love improv so much. It's just like uh, if we're all just listening better, we're we're gonna be better people. This world would be such a better place if yeah. we just started to listen better. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about that recently too. I, I started reading this book called The Blade and the Chalice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's all about these like sociological differences between um, what this woman calls dominator cultures versus partnership cultures. Okay. Um, um, and the, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. A dominance culture is based on hierarchy and okay. it's based on orders coming down from the top. And if you don't obey those orders, then you're punished down from top. So more information, information doesn't have to travel upwards to the top. And people on the top don't want to hear what the people on the bottom have to say, but they want the people on the bottom to obey what the people on the top have to say. Hmm. And so what ends up happening in those cultures is people on top frequently get false information because people are just never honest sending up what you need to know from the top. And so they start making these decisions based on false information and they tend to be very violent and et cetera, et cetera. It's basically the story of pretty much every government on the planet. And, and cooperative societies, partnership societies, she calls them partner, I forget the name of the woman who wrote the book right now, but she calls them partnership cultures. I love that idea. That to me is the most improv thing in the world. Sure. I love, I've started referring to Megan Gray, my girlfriend recently, as my partner. Because mm-hmm. I like that idea. I, I like the way that that bleeds into everything. Sure. The sense of, I'm working with my partner right now. I like that in improv, it's your partner. Always. Of course. Yeah. And partnership is based on feedback. Partnership is based on you give out to the other person, but whatever you gave doesn't mean a hill of beans until you get back their response. Sure. So you're just in this constant, endless loop. And it's this feedback loop that you're building together that really becomes the engine of the scene. Sure. My behavior is entirely predicated on your behavior and vice versa. And my behavior is modified by your behavior and vice versa. And so we grow this thing together. And it's so much better than if one of us did it on our own. So much better. Yeah. But it it also, it's a smarter way of using our minds together. And Mm -hmm. it leads to more vivid scenes and more interesting interactions because we really have to be in tune. It really is this kind of dance between each other. Sure. Uh And it demands a presence. Totally. Yes. Totally. You're finding a game and you're playing a game, but you're not just stopping at the repetition of this game because if you let the game go on long enough, it's going to start mutating and growing. It's like a living thing. Right. And it's just this feedback loop that it's updating information about this game and the game grows. If you play, if you take a scene from a Herald with a really great game to it and you stretch that scene out to an hour you're eventually going to find your way back to that game, but you're going to get away from that game too. Mm -hmm. It's just inevitable. 
and purely from listening and giving and taking with each other. It leads to just smarter use of your brain. And I couldn't agree more it, it, as like a cultural force. It's just, it's a better way to live your life. Yes, man. I think it also, that speaks to why uh, improv is so popular these days, which is so nice. It's so fun to see this community uh, and communities all over the country and world just blowing up right now. I feel like improv is really just blowing up mm-hmm. uh, for, you know, people you can argue for better or worse, but I think obviously it's for the better because I think people are seeing this void in their lives and connecting to some of these tenets of improv that we're talking about in a really sort of nice way, seeing that they want that in their lives, that it's really beneficial, that you can take these ideas, these principles of improv, apply them in your real life and, and have really positive, nice results. Yeah, totally. I don't know. That's how I approach things. Well, it's taking off because, like, the percentage of people who are studying improv is still way, way higher than the percentage of people who are actively pursuing improv as a way of life or as a or as a career. You know, sure, but career and studying are two different things for yes. me. Yeah, and I love that both exist. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it, I, I think that improv should be taught in schools. It mm-hmm. sh- I think it should just be a part of the part of the curriculum right but i also think that doing trying to do this for a living comedy for a living or improv for a living if that's even a thing uh is not for everyone right Mm -hmm. and shouldn't have to be for everyone absolutely not uh so right i think they're they're separate for me but obviously also yeah well i mean well my my point to that is i think it's a it's telling that so many people are improvising and of those people only a a, a narrow margin are either using it to develop tools for a career or using it. Be- like in my case, I would say uh, I, I improv is kind of my career, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, I do whatever I can to be around it and have it be a part of my life, but I, I'm not exactly improvising as a career. I'm kind of making a career to allow me to improvise as much sure. as possible. Yeah. The fact that so many people are doing it who that's not really an ambition, I think is telling of like it there's some kind of need that it's filling in lots and lots of people's lives. Yeah. And it goes way beyond just the making of comedy. It it there's something about I guess presence is the right word for it. I really do think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. We're so disconnect we're so disconnected these days. You know what I mean? Yeah. When was the last time we, like, just having a, a one-on-one conversation is such a nice thing. Like, we've been making eye contact yeah. for about an hour now. Uh, we've just been talking. My phone's off. You know what I mean? It's just like, these are sadly rare things these days, I think, for a lot of people. So when they get in the environment where that's encouraged, where this behavior is encouraged, mm-hmm. it starts to unlock this, like, very sort of human and important thing. And yeah. I don't know. And it pulls the stick out of your ass too. Yeah. Going, sure. going back for a second to what you were saying about like you're you're a passionate guy and that can be perceived as anger and, yeah. and it comes out in your scenes. I'm an arrogant guy. It's a part of my makeup. It's not something I'm proud of, but there's a lot of arrogance in there, and uh, it comes out in my scenes. There, I tend towards arrogance in my scenes, which is so funny because I never, in describing, if I had to describe you, that would not be a word I would use to describe you at all. Thanks. Yeah. I think it's something that for a long time it, it would come out in these like f- 
nasty flashes. Sure. You know what I mean? It'd be like a flash storm of arrogance. And then I, I would like distance myself from people. I, I'd be really, really nice, but I'd be covering up this arrogance that was inside, you know? And uh, improvising for years, it, it, like somehow it, that got grounded into performance. Mm-hmm. And I'm no less arrogant than I've ever been, <laughs> but there's a much smaller stick up my ass about it. Sure. It, because it, it's being channeled towards these other ends, you know what I mean? And yes. it's, it's almost like this very real present thing about you. It, 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 you're not playing these characters. It's this weird like funhouse mirror that's amplifying uh, uh, stuff that's really in you, mm-hmm. but it's channeling out in this like w- wonderful, hilarious way. Yeah, and it's a way to like use this, I guess, like the shadow side of your personality, or whatever, is being exercised and used, but towards creative ends that y- you get it out in a shared space. Of course, and we can all have a good laugh about it. And now it has less of like a hold over me. I yeah. have less of a stick up my ass about it. Sure. And I can get on with like the other parts of my personality that are much nicer and better than of that. Of course, that you like more, right? Totally. Yeah, improv makes you a better better person. I think in that way, yeah. And yeah. that might be another reason why it has that appeal to so many people. Sure, without a doubt, yeah. I mean, you get to do, you can do anything you want. In fact, it's encouraged, right? We encourage our students to do anything they want. And so, yeah, that's a very freeing thing. And something that people are just told not to do these days. Man, are people told to shut up and, you know what I mean, that their ideas are dumb, et cetera, et cetera. And so when you get in this environment where it's like, hey, your idea is the best idea. Mm-hmm. If your, your job, uh, uh, Chris Gethard once said that um, as improvisers, we have the right to do whatever we want and the responsibility to make our partners look good doing whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. I'm totally ruining and paraphrasing that. We're just but, remembering what teachers have to right, say. They exa- may never I know, right? Said. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, how it goes, though. But exactly, I know. And so it's like that to, That was a, such a nice aha sort of moment for me in terms of, a, and it balanced that paradox of like, oh, right, my ideas are great, but... My responsibility is always to be making my scene partner's ideas the best that they can be. See, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that balance of freedom and responsibility. Yes. Uh, uh, that's, that's what it, it, you're, you're learning to apply an adult's ability to work with other adults towards productive ends mm-hmm. with a kid's ability to have total freedom of imagination. Sure. And That's the marriage nice. of those two things. It, it's beautiful, right? It's beautiful. And I think it leads to what a healthy adult actually biologically should look like. Yes. You know, like, I think, I, I, like, not to get too, like, idiotic about it, but, like, you know, adults are really good at we're, playing at adults. We're breaking out of breaking a jail. Out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Sorry. We're making good. What the hell is that? We're in a a prison in upstate New York right now, so. Uh, Too soon? Is that too soon? (laughs) No, we're good. We're good. This is like our Live at Folsom album. (laughs) We're we're actually doing this in front of a live audience of prisoners who are being very uh, We're really polite. polite. Really super polite. You guys are doing great. Um, That was a talk. Oh. Sorry. uh, I um, totally, for a dumb bit. No, 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 no. It was a good bit. 
It's a fun bit. I now I'm really amused by doing live at Folsom Prison, <laughs> doing a live <laughs> improv podcast for a bunch of prisoners. prisoners. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you ever read the story about? I forget what prison it was, but they like they put up a production of Waiting for Godot in like 1967 or no. something. Apparently, it like went over like gangbusters. Like really? the prisoners loved it. Sure. Way better than like the original uh, uh, New York audience loved it. You know, they like related to it somehow. That's cool. That's Please, irrelevant. can we go back to what you were saying? I feel so bad now that no, I... No, no, no. Do you remember? Yes. Do anybody? Yeah. Yeah, go. I do. Please. Um, I've been re-watching Mad Men recently. Cool. Um, so th- this is fresh in my mind, but just this idea of like, uh, uh, you, you kind of play at being an adult. I don't know a lot of people who who confidently feel like they know what they're doing. Uh, I know of a lot of people who've gotten to a point in their life where they're sort of like, well, it seems like nobody knows. So, uh, okay, I Mm -hmm. might as well go forward. But I think that there is a real fear of showing that to other people. And so you play at being an adult, you know, and you're not really an adult. You're not really a grown up. I think that what the world that we're in teaches you how to kind of like break through that and actually be a real adult. You're, 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 you're merging an adult's ability to um, inhibit, to express impulse control so that we can be responsible to each other and not complete pieces of shit with the impulsiveness of acting on instincts. Sure. You're marrying it together towards like a whole human yeah. being. Yeah. That's nice. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, uh, real quick, yeah. we have a few minutes left. Um, so improv is a main passion for you. You came to New York to learn improv. Yeah. Is that still hold true for you now, uh, uh, thriving as well as you are? Is it still like a chief love for you? Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I do. Have, man, I hope so. Uh, or else I'm doing too much of it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's a passion of mine. I want other things. So I've grown. I've grown. It's so interesting. I've, like, I've grown to now have you know different goals and newer goals. Uh, but improv is so, so important to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love, I love doing it, uh, so much. It's just, so it's just changed my life in so many positive ways, uh, that, yeah, I love it so much. I hope I get to do it. Just, I would love to be able to do it for the rest of my life. Yeah. Now I would also love a, a job, you know, where, uh, to be working in the comedy field, to be, you know, to have other things that uh, I think are tough in the improv world. Do you know what I mean? Totally. So there's that balance and figuring out that stuff is very challenging, but all good things are. Yeah. It, it, it's tough to make improv your living because you sure. can't make a living improvising. Right. But there's a lot to be said for making a living that allows you the opportunity to continue improvising. Sure. Um, that's sort of my dream too, is to to just never stop doing it. To, right. Like I look at like right. like Dave Pasquazi, and he's, sure. like, he's in his fifties. He does it every Wednesday night. Yeah, uh, you know, it's like oh, that's amazing, right? And, and to still be um, discovering more about it at that point, to, sure. to still be oh, yeah. to refining it and fine tuning it, and it's, it's so crazy, right? Yeah, when you think it's such a nice thing, I was thinking about it, it's like oh yeah, improv is like. It's it's like it's chess over checkers mm-hmm. in terms of like if we could master it in uh, two years, nobody would be interested in doing it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's so nice to to have seen. I say this all the time to my students. I'm like the only metric we should be concerned with is personal growth over time. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that like it's so nice to see looking back at my own personal growth. It's so nice. And to think about people like, you know, the, the people I look up to improv wise, right? Your TJs and Daves. It's like, whoa, they've been doing it for 20 plus years. Could you, and just it's so it's literally so fun to think about the potential of doing a show 11 years from now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, is like such a nice, fun thing. Yeah. To think where I'll be at that point is like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, there's almost like a larger meta thing too. Like going back to, to, to like if you play a game long enough, uh, eventually it evolves into a different game mm-hmm. only to find its way back to the original game again. Sure. It happens off stage too. It happens when you're improvising. You start out pursuing improv and then you find other goals begin evolving. Sure. Um, but they also like sweeten and enhancing the original goal of being a great improviser. Mm-hmm. You kind of find that like, oh, I love acting. I want to be acting more. And now I'm pursuing, uh, uh, you know, jobs in acting. And, you know, all these other things are coming, like lining up and falling into place. Sure. But all still grounded in this initial thing of like, I got to keep on improvising. Sure. I got to keep on doing this. And it's so nice to me. Part of Part of what's so beautiful about this is almost that there are no people who make a living doing it. Yeah. Uh, you know, a few exceptions, but just 99.99, I think, percent of people are not making a living improvising. Mm-hmm. And that is such a beautiful thing to me in the sense of like, yeah, you cannot do this for money. Yeah, You just cannot, like, you can find other ways to make money and people have, and that's fine, but you get into this for other reasons. You, have, you know what I mean? It seems to me that you really have to like doing this to do it. Yeah. Uh, and I also I think that speaks to like why the communities are filled with so many amazing people mm-hmm. because they're people who are here because they want to be here because they love doing this thing. Totally. And that's such a, such a rare thing in my mind in the world uh, and such a nice thing. Yeah. One more question for yeah. you. You had a great role on Broad City as a masturbating uh, guy on a on a booze cruise. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Did your family watch that? Oh yeah, my parents watched it. Yeah. They like it? Yeah, they, yeah, absolutely. I I uh, told my parents that I would be masturbating. I yeah. Think. Or or I warned them that it was like sensitive, quote unquote, sensitive, sensitive material. My parents are very liberal, and yeah. I think just like. We're so happy to see me do <laughs> on television doing something. You do this for so long. I've been doing this for so long that it's like the first piece of them seeing that I'm doing this. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, They've yeah. seen me perform a lot, uh, so they know what I'm doing, and I talk to them. But you know what I mean? It's just sort of like it is was a sort of nice... Yeah, such a fun experience, yeah. man. And what a fucking killer show. Yeah, God, awesome. it was such It was such a, such a privilege and honor to have gotten to do that was it fun to work on it oh so fun it was such a fantastic day and there abby and alana are just amazing it's just a, yeah it's so nice to do yeah uh yeah of course uh it's w- one other thing i love about like being an improviser is that you can be put into a situation where it's like all right we want you to you're gonna be locked into a, a room full of champagne and we want you to masturbate on the corner sure and just years of improv makes you go yeah fine yeah absolutely right like uh, oh, okay that's a day of work sure yeah like yeah. oh that's funny yeah totally. it's like, that's funny uh is amazing like yeah like to think too that People are, you know, that obviously that's the goal, that that is the way that I make my living is like, of course, it's going to be the hardest thing to 
to achieve because it's so absolutely absurd yeah. uh, to get to 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 tell an adult that right they'll be doing comedy you know what I mean every day and get paid for it and that the best of our comedians get paid well is like such an amazing thing yeah. and I think it's why it's so fucking hard to do to get to that point do you yeah. know what I mean yeah because everyone would do it otherwise I'm assuming or most people you know yeah who wouldn't want to get paid to masturbate in a boat <laughs> I do it for free multiple times a day right uh, yeah uh, Andrew yeah. owns a boat you should know that he's, he's not breaking onto other people's boats yeah no I'm not masturbating on my own boat from that sweet sweet broad city money yeah and I'm getting paid for the Folsom concert <laughs> we're doing right now Andrew you're my glazer thank you for talking my friend Lou, thank you so much it's been a pleasure cool. uh, and thank you guys for listening this has been the Magnet Theater Podcast which is produced by Evan Ford Barton and engineered by Grant Michael Goldberg with executive producer Ed Herpsman and is recorded at the Magnet Training Center in New York City we can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, AYG. Bye, bye, bye. You've been listening to the Magnet Podcast.